All right. Titus. Uh, the purpose of the book is in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and it's given as an introduction to the book. This is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to one of his disciples, Titus, who's going to give him a bit of a job description in a minute. But this is how Paul describes himself, and in that we, dis we discover what this book is about. It says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to, this is the reason, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. The purpose of this book is to further faith and truth and godliness and hope, is to take this deposit that's been put into this uh, young church in Crete and to see these things, these essential elements of the gospel being advanced. Uh, how? Now, this is where it starts to get a little bit more interesting. In verses 3 to 5, it says this. How is this gospel that changes our lives going to be advanced? And it's through three generations. This is how Paul says it. Through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, if uh, you had a community and you wanted to see this community grow in love, in godliness, in faith, in truth, in hope, and you wanted to give this community the best opportunity to succeed, what would you do? What Paul says needs to be done is authority needs to be established in that church community. What a fascinating response to wanting to see love established in a community that in order for this community to thrive, there needs to be a structure of authority. And that structure isn't just invented in that moment. Paul describes three generations of delegated authority. Paul says, God has commanded me to be a minister of the gospel. Titus, you're my son. I'm commanding you to carry this on. And your job isn't done until you command another group of people, the elders, to establish this truth and this love and this power in this community. Uh, I've been saying it a lot these days. And a, a book like this strikes me of its importance all the more. Is that in our culture... It seems as though if we want to experience love and acceptance and community, that the primary thing that we need to do is get rid of power structures. Because power uh, corrupts, power creates hierarchy, it makes people who are inside and outside. Uh, power is really seen, I think in our culture, to be the enemy of love. But what Paul says is instead of trying to remove power, we need to somehow purify power. That we need to have authority in our life if love is going to succeed. And so instead of trying to get rid of power in our life, we need to invite it in and understand how to rightly relate to power. So uh, do you think about this? Do you think, okay, I'm having a problem being godly. I'm having a problem trusting in God. I don't know how to find hope 
in the situation that I'm in. I can't understand what the truth says. What am I going to do? I know the, pro the primary problem in my life is there, not, there isn't authority over me. Is that what you think? I mean, what a strange conclusion to reach for having personal issues to say, I need to have a better relationship with authority and power in my life. That the reason why I struggle with godliness, I struggle with understanding the truth and believing in God, is because I actually have a struggle with authority and power. So, when, the first point is that we need to understand what power is about. Point number two is then, given the importance of power, how do we purify it? Not get rid of it, because that doesn't help anybody. How do we actually purify authority or make it more pure? It's never going to be totally pure if it's in the hands of humans. When is power pure? Is when our character, our family, and our doctrine, our beliefs are pure. This is what it says when, when Paul gives a command to set these elders in at the uh, church in Crete. This is the description of what an elder needs to be like. An overseer is another word for it, of this community. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read a few verses. But it says an elder must be blameless. No, good luck with that. Uh, to have a character that is uh, beyond reproach. Not perfection, but that when somebody looks at this person, they say, that is a character that I can't argue with. They're not perfect, but they're godly. And he goes on in the, in the ensuing verse to describe what that is. But number one is a blameless character. Number two is faithful to his wife and a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. That's point number two, is they need to have a blameless character, and then their immediate relationships need to be honorable and reflect this message that they're preaching. Keeps going. The third point in verse nine is he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So, what is a, a, a pure authority? Well, it's an authority that's used to love others. And what that looks like, what a safe leader looks like, is three things. The ability to resist power, to use power wisely, and to submit to power. We're going to look at each one of these. This is what a safe leader looks like. And if you want to have influence and significance in your life, this now becomes relevant to you. The first thing that a safe leader needs to do is to know how to resist power. When it talks about having a godly character, of being blameless, it means that somebody has the ability to withstand temptation, to resist the power of temptation. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Uh, in order for us to be people of influence, we need to figure out how to resist evil power and not submit to it. 
Not everything that comes our way is worth believing, worth trusting, worth following in. And so before we can be helpful to others, we need to be able to know how to control our own selves. I find this to be uh, incredibly sobering. When we listen to people, and I, I, I have the opportunity to listen to people all the time describe the difficulties that goes on in their life, uh, almost without exception, the reason why those personal difficulties are happening is they are emotionally overwhelmed by something. There is a, uh, an injustice that has happened against them, and they just can't get over that. Emotionally, they can't get over that. There is a temptation toward, toward lust. Uh, don't know how to overcome that. Uh, there's, a, uh, uh, there's anxiety and worry, those kinds of emotions. They feel helpless in the face of those issues. It seems as though it is hard for us to believe that the way our emotional struggles will be overcome is by having a higher authority that we submit to. If we, uh, it's a radical thought to think that the, this emotional onslaught that comes our way, whether it is anxiety or, or fear or lust, or anger and bitterness, uh, whatever it would be, that that is a power that's coming against us and we have an emotional reaction to it. And the way that we would overcome, have victory over the enemy in sin and temptation is by submitting to God instead of submitting to that evil power. What if the reason why we struggle in our life is not because we don't want to be loving, but we don't know how to fight in the authority of God against a lesser power and authority. What if the struggle that we have is actually a power struggle and not just a desire struggle? I find this to be an, a, a helpful way to think about the personal issues that we have in our life. So... Uh, you know, if I'm struggling with anxiety, I, I, I feel a wave of fear come over me. And then what I feel like I need to do is I need to negotiate with that fear. I need to say, well, it's really not that bad, or I should look on the bright side, or I should distract myself. And somehow, my understanding is that the way that I would overcome my anxiety is by negotiating with that feeling and working out terms of peace. So I don't want to be really overrun by you, but I know that you have some really good points. So what if I just see you maybe in a better light and, and offset you with some other ideas? And what the devil says, uh, sorry, what God says to overcoming the work of the devil is to say, actually, the way that you conquer your internal struggles is by submitting to a greater authority. It's not so much about negotiation and understanding it's really about submission and learning how to resist evil power through God's power. Um, 
I think that could be new for us. But I think it's true. One of the things that you'll notice if you've been tempted and you think about it, that our temptations are usually irrational. The enemy says, if you right now stonewall the people around you and just self-protect, that's going to be better for you. You should do that. Why don't you just get really, really angry and that'll control everybody around you? That's a super good idea. Why don't you look at pornography? Why don't you go to the club? And that's going to take care of all of your problems, at least for a minute. Um, The work of the devil is not rational. And so it doesn't make sense that reason and rationality, negotiation, is somehow going to set you free from spiritual oppression. Instead, we view it as a power struggle. And so we say to those things that are coming against us, we say, look, I can't defeat you. You're a greater power than me. But I submit myself to God and resist you. And there is my freedom. I find uh, counseling to be an incredibly helpful tool. I recommend you all go. But don't imagine that thinking through your past or thinking through your pain is going to enable you to overcome the evil one. The way that the evil one is overcome is through a greater authority. And so if you're going to be somebody who's going to be a person of influence, who's going to be able to disciple and help other people, the first thing that you and I need to be able to figure out how to do is resist demonic power. And as we understand how to do that ourselves, we're able to then help others. Point number one for leadership is knowing how to resist the power of temptation. That when we feel anger coming our way, when we want to get drunk or violent or pursue, pursue dishonest gain, is what's talked about in verse 7. That we say, no, 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 I don't need to submit to that. There's a higher authority that defines my mind and my emotions. I'm not negotiating. I'm submitting to a greater power. Point number two. So that our first way to treat power is there some powers that need to be resisted? Just straight out resisted? No, I don't go there. The second is how to use power. One is how to resist power. This one is how to use power to bless others. In 2 Corinthians 13.10, it describes the kind of authority that you and I have as, uh, to the degree that we call ourselves Christians. It says, the, Lord, uh, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up and not tearing you down. Uh, God has given to Christians the authority to build others up, to bless others, not tear them down, but to build them up. Uh, The question that I have for you here is, would you describe yourself as being aware of your authority? As you walk into a moment, you, uh, you're, this is talking about family in particular, 
But do you own your responsibility for any given moment? You go into work. Do you feel powerless at work? Nobody's going to listen to me about Jesus. I'm not a person of influence. I, look, I just do what I'm told. And if I can go through a day without getting blamed for something, that's been a good day. Or do you say, no, I'm a person of authority and influence, anointed by the power and presence of God to be a minister of reconciliation in this moment. I am not powerless in this moment. I'm strong and capable by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in me. Have you, are there relationships where you have given up? Say, ah, it's too hard. I can't do that. It's too hard to be kind. It's too hard to be in this job. It's too hard to be in this family. One of the things that I think is so interesting, that you have this first point of knowing how to resist demonic power, but then the second point, it's to be able to be faithful to your wife and to have a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. I don't know how many times I've talked to parents, and they'll say, I don't know what to do with him. I don't know what to do with her. I just have wild kids. It's just a, it's a surprise how we got here. And uh, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. Well, I've experienced that more than once today. <laughs> uh, as you know, we have lots of kids. And uh, now listen to this. I want to be a loving father and a loving husband. This is my goal, all right? That I want to build people up. I don't want to tear them down. That's my, that's my job description in my home. Do you know what I mostly struggle with? Powerlessness. I feel powerless. I can't change anybody. I, what am I going to do here? I mean, it's just one voice, and especially when you have children who grow up, they can just leave and tell you where to go anytime they want. I got no authority. Listen to me. I don't want to exaggerate. I think my biggest struggle with being loving is I feel powerless and I don't have authority over myself or to be able to bless and serve others. Powerless. What if the reason why you feel like you're not very loving is not because your heart doesn't want to be loving. I mean, to, to, of the people that I know in this room, this is the most loving community I've ever experienced. It is not a question as to whether you and I want to be loving. I think that's been settled a long time ago. What I don't think has been settled is if you and I feel powerless or not. And if we feel powerless, we end up becoming unloving, not because we have selfish hearts, it's because we don't know how to grab hold of faith in difficult moments. Powerlessness is a big deal. Here, as well as in 1 Timothy, uh, elders are commanded to, I like the word, manage their households. 
That's an authority word. Manage their households in such a way that you stay faithful to your wife and that you have children who believe. Now, the scholars argue over whether this means have a faith in Jesus or just be trustworthy. Either sounds challenging. And are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Why would Paul tell Titus to find elders who don't have wild children? Family is the place where you work through a healthy reception of power. You might be able to fake it in the workplace or even fake it here. Uh, you lead a community or you lead a, a D group or you help with the kids. You can be good or exercise godly authority for a few minutes, a couple hours. But eventually you have to exhale. And uh, home is the place where you see who you really are. And the people around you know who you really are. And so Paul says, find people who have figured out how to use authority in such a way that is a blessing to others. And the people, the, the way that you're going to find out who those people are, look at their families. And you'll be able to see whether they genuinely have a healthy understanding of power, that they use it to be a blessing to others, and they've worked that through. They've received authority, and then used that authority to lay down their lives and to love others. Are you starting to see now how love and authority are woven together? I need to be able to have a greater authority to resist evil. I need to receive authority to believe that I can be loving. And the final one is to submit to power. So we resist some powers. We use power. And then we need to know, thirdly, how to submit to power. This power is the power of the truth. We can go on from there. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, it says this, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be able to teach others. So this is what Paul introduced this book. He says, I was commanded. You hear that word commanded by God, our Savior, I was commanded by him to be a minister of the gospel. You, my son Titus, I'm now commanding you, and you go and command these elders to exercise this godly authority. But the kind of authority that I want them to have is they don't reinvent truth. They become uh, transmitters of the truth that was handed down to them. They have submitted to the truth. I remember a very graphic time I struggled with submission. Uh, happens all the time, but I remember a particular time. I was the janitor at Cary Hall. It's a, back then it was only a dormitory out at UBC. And I lived there for a number of years and was going to Regent College, so my part-time job was to be the janitor. It's a great job. And uh, so I had a key to every room. And since I was a student the year before, I knew pretty much everybody who lived there. And so they would say to me, hey, Greg, uh, you have access to the printer, right? I go, yes, I do. I go, well, could you print me off a couple of copies of the thing that I'm working on? 
no problem. And so I just unlock the office door and they print off their stuff and I feel really good about myself and I served my fellow students. And, uh, and then the, my boss comes up to me and says, uh, Greg, that's not your printer. You can't just let anybody use that. And I nodded my head. And uh, boss left next week, let my friends in to use the printer. Because <laughs> I thought it was a stupid idea. I know better than my boss, obviously. And, uh, and he comes up and he talks to me again. He says, Greg, did you let some more friends in use the printer? I go, I did. He says, uh, if you keep doing that, I'll fire you. I thought, well, that's an overreaction. <laughs> a little bit of printing. Don't you think you're a little unreasonable? That's what I thought in my head. And I remember, I mean, I remember this was hard for me because I didn't agree with my boss. I thought I knew better. And I had to figure out, I know that you're thinking this is stupid, but it was a big deal for me. I had to figure out, am I gonna submit to a higher authority in my life? Am I gonna do that? You can decide how it's been going. I think of my uh, professor, Dr. Bachmuel, at Regent College. He was my mentor there. And I remember him saying something about submitting to the truth, not just submitting to other people. And here's what he said that theology was. And you may think this is a little boring, but it, I've, I've not forgotten it, obviously, because that was over 30 years ago. He says, Greg, the task of a theologian is to summarize, summarize, and re-summarize. And he says, if you want to be creative, don't become a theologian. And I remember that. I remember that the purpose of theology is not to be clever and invent something new. The purpose of theology is to faithfully hand down what has been given to you by God and transmit that to others. And you are good at theology, not if you found some clever new uh, idea, even in the Bible. No, what a good theologian has done is has been faithful, faithful to the word transmitted through the apostles, written in scripture, communicated through his church. And you need to be faithful to that. You need to submit to the authority of God through his word. There's been some uh, controversial things that I've been talking to people about these days. And it's been interesting to Christians. And it's been interesting to hear the responses that come back my way. And it goes something like this. It says, uh, I understand what the Bible says. But you see, there's a fresh understanding of the word of God as we've done more and more research in ancient Near Eastern history. And so this is what was really going on. I know it's not exactly in the text, but they've been doing some other research of other extra-biblical material, and it seems as though it's changing the way that we read the Bible. I am tremendously suspicious because the Bible needs to interpret itself. And if we need something, if we somehow need to become more clever and pull in other sources outside of the Bible... <laughs> 
our Bible study becomes suspect. We need to be a people who submit to the truth of God and to the teachers of Scripture. It doesn't mean that we blindly submit. That's not what's being talked about. But it means that we have a heart of submission, not creativity. So, we all want, I think, to be significant. We all want to be men and women of influence. Which means that we would give away to others faith and truth and godliness and hope. What a great life we would live as we would give these things away to others. Just as Paul gave them to Titus, who gave them to the elders, who would give them to the church. But let me ask you, um, how are you doing in the area of resisting power? How are you doing? Do you, in your internal struggles, can you, have you figured out how to resist evil power? Have you figured out how to receive power for the blessing of others, not for yourself? Have you figured that out? Have you figured out how to submit to power? The power of God's truth and the power of human institutions, your boss, your parents, church leadership. We have elders, eldership team in this church. How are you doing with submitting to that? Uh, I've, have a, I've had a number of sons who are in, uh, in construction. And uh, I've been in construction for lots of time in my past as well. And it's, uh, it's fascinating to me to listen to construction workers solve the world's problems. It's, uh, if you're in construction, you know exactly what I'm talking about because they listen to, uh, to talk shows. Yeah, what is it? CKNW. Yeah, there you go. So they listen to that. And so because they've listened to, you know, <laughs> three people on the, uh, on the radio, that they now have become experts on what they would do if they were the president of the United States or Canada or, their com or whatever it is. You know, it's just... And uh, I remember, you know, eating lunch with the opinions around me and thinking, really, have you ever had any authority? You haven't led anything. You have no idea what you're talking about. You just have opinions about stuff. And I remember those opinions. And then I remember having responsibility in those opinions dramatically changing when I had to become a responsible person and lead people who don't always want to be led. Things change. Do you struggle with submitting to power? Which of these, resisting, using, or submitting, which of these would be most difficult for you? I'm curious. We won't have a hand raising. But I'm curious, which of these would be most difficult for you? Do you find it difficult to resist, to use, or to submit to? Now, as you think about that, uh, the way that you... Uh, the way that you handle one is by using the other two. Let me explain this. If you have a problem resisting power, resisting demonic power, if you have a problem with that, 
What I recommend you do is use some power and submit to his power. And as you uh, receive power to love others, as you figure out how to submit to God's power, you'll find yourself being able to use those lessons to know how to resist evil power. If you have a problem using power and taking responsibility for the well-being of others, practice resisting the enemy and submitting to God, and you'll find yourself growing in authority and wanting to be able to take responsibility for things as you wrestle them through. If you have a problem submitting to God and to his truth, just try overcoming your temptations. Try loving others and seeing them change. And you'll be crying out to God soon enough. And so maybe what would be helpful, instead of just focusing on the one area that we're struggling with, is to be able to say, maybe in these other places where I've figured something out about using, resisting, or submitting to, that that might become informative for how to bolster up this area that I'm struggling in. But the point today needs to be clear. My friends, what if we struggle with receiving love and victory, with being people of significance, with knowing how to trust in God's truth? What if these issues aren't always about our motives? What if it's because we have power struggles? And until the church figures out how to rightly manage power, we won't experience the love that we long to experience in our lives and in our church community. This is my struggle. I'm sure of it. I've told you, and then we'll close with this. I've told you this before. It comes to my mind. I'd like to tell you again. In the old church that I was pastoring in, they called me Greg. And if they called me Pastor Greg, I'd correct them. Because I'd say, I don't call you Plumber Bob, so don't call me Pastor Greg. It's weird. And they would laugh and think that was cute. And I felt very egalitarian-ish. We're all on the same page. And then I joined Every Nation before we started this church. And they referred to me as Pastor Greg. Oh, well, that's weird. I don't need the title. Anyways. And then they said, uh, one of their leaders came to our church when it first started, and they said to the elders of the church, I would like you all to refer to Greg as Pastor Greg publicly. And I'm thinking, really? Really? Like, I don't need that. And I don't know why it would be helpful for anybody else. It just seems like I'd be setting people over, I'd be setting myself over people. Well, that's not servant leadership. But I remember what happened in my heart when I received authority. I remember very, very clearly. I received a responsibility to love and serve you and to care about your well-being. And I'm not one of many. I'm Pastor Greg. And I had to work through Oh, dear God, I have responsibility. I had to work that through. I go, I don't want responsibility. I want to be Greg or yo or something. 
bro, or is it bra now, or bro, bra, bro, bro? I don't know, but anyways, uh, I, I just want to be, uh, I just want to be that. I don't want to be Pastor Greg. And I remember wrestling through accepting responsibility for your well-being, and it changed my life. Have you accepted responsibility for anyone's well-being? Have you done that? Have you said, now, if you're parents, it's easier because it's kind of, they don't have a choice and you don't have a choice. But widen it out. Have you said, I, that person's well-being at work, in my D group, on the bus, I'm going to take responsibility for them. And you work that through because you know you can't impose anything on them. They have a free will. You know you can't manipulate. You know you can't control. But you're going to try to serve them toward love. You won't engage in the struggles of that journey until you accept responsibility for them. I have a feeling the reason why we're going to be going through Titus in these next number of weeks is we are going to be challenging you, so get ready for next week, we're going to be challenging you week after week to work through your power issues. Because I think that God wants to enable us as a community to know how to resist, use, and submit to power. <laughs>